This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning. The following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. Hi, this is Jim Polzel from Safety Wars. Before we start the program tonight, I wanted to make sure everybody understood that we're going to be talking about a couple of legal cases here. I'm going to mention uh, some stuff up front. Everyone is innocent till proven guilty because there are OSHA citations issued, proposed citations. That does not mean those are the final result. Things get negotiated down, things get vacated, things get litigated. Everyone is innocent till proven guilty. We are working off of available public records, newspaper accounts, OSHA press releases, and things of that nature. And we can't make any warranty or guarantee as to what was there if it's true, not true, what the facts are, or anything else, we're just going off of non-copyrighted OSHA information and some of my uh, own observations and field experience, things of that nature. So, enjoy the show. Look and back to hearing from you and seeing you tomorrow. And for Safety Wars for Monday, January 23rd, 2023. As advertised, we're going to be talking about a concept called safety statement analysis. So, they call it many different way things. Scan, they call it, uh, no. Many, it goes under many different titles, but the person who popularized it was a man named Mark McClish, who was the instructor at the U.S. Federal Law Enforcement Academy, I believe that's the name of it, down in Maryland. He has a whole series of books out there. I Know You're Lying uh, is one of them. It's probably the most popular one. A phenomenal book. I recommend you get it. I'm trying to get him on the program here uh, to discuss it because I tell you what, if you're going to be doing any type of accident investigation, any type of investigation, uh, talking to regulatory agents and everything else, it's something you really need to go into. And it's essentially, how do you tell if someone's lying to you or deceiving you? More importantly, how do you frame things when you speak, when you're answering questions that it doesn't seem like you are deceiving people? Because you could be telling 100% the truth. And, this, you know, let me go back and t- tell you a little bit about the history. Basically, we're pretty straight up guys in the safety field, usually. We tell the truth. You could be telling the truth. I'm telling the truth, but no one would ever believe me on anything. And I had to d- dig deep here. Go into me. Well, maybe it's something that I am saying or the way I am conducting myself that people are not believing me. Then I realize that they really don't give a shit. They don't care about safety, the organizations I was working with. Uh, Essentially, they didn't care 
uh, uh, no, the, uh, the investigators were, and the people asking the questions were judge, jury, executioners, investigators, you name it. Didn't matter. They had a narrative that they wanted to push, but I came up with the idea of, and I don't want to say, I'm obviously not the first, but I said, you know what? I'm not going to give them the rope to hang me with. So how do we, so I well, searched out about nine years ago, I came across a guy by the name of Mark McClish and his uh, two books. One book was, I Know You Are Lying by Mark McClish. The other book is by a gentleman, Peter Hyatt, Wise as a Serpent, Gentle as a Dove, Dealing with Deception. And uh, the four forerunners of those are the guy by the name of Tony Lesh, and uh, who came up with the scan program. Another guy, Avino. I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy this name. I apologize. Avinoam Sapir. He was an Israeli, uh, I believe, military person or police officer who came up with a lot of these programs. How do you, do you detect it? And it has to do how you detect deception. Has to do with a lot of stuff. I realized after studying this stuff that I said, you know, this really needs to be part of any accident investigation course. These basic concepts. All right. Uh, what are you looking for? Uh, what not to say? Things of that nature. Because recently I was, no, real simple. You go, I, uh, if you're working for me, you're on my payroll. You are going to be getting this presentation. How do I expect a accident investigation to go? How do I expect you to conduct yourself? Uh, how do I expect you to conduct yourself when you're con doing an accident investigation? How uh, to act in front of clients, how to, and uh, other investigators, regulatory agencies, law enforcement, and everything else. It's one of those things. You had to standardize these things. This was one of the first things that I standardized. So what I did was I handed everybody a nice book, and it's a, you know, the book for this. It's roughly 100 pages. I figure, okay, we got intelligent people here. We'll read 100 pages. Guess what? Nobody wanted to read it. So I said, okay, no problem. You don't want to read 100 pages on, you know, during the day, throughout your busy day, take 15, 20 minutes out of day, read. You figure a page a, a page a minute, take out 100 minutes in the course of a week. Then we come back and we talk about it. Nobody wanted to do it. So I said, okay, no problem. We're just going to have a company meeting, and I'm going to go through it with you. You're going to sit down there, and you're going to hear me for however long it takes to go through this. And uh, we have to revisit this stuff often. Right, as a reminder, because like uh, Brent Sutton uh, from uh, the Learning Teams right, uh, podcast and everything else, he uh, says you need some soak time whenever you're getting a new concept and everything else. So what I say to people right off the bat, if you don't want to be lied to, don't go into the safety business because we get lied to on a daily basis. And what are we talking about? What are we doing? We're analyzing the words, the syntax, you know, the, what they're saying, body language, handwriting, and other stuff to determine whether we're being told the truth, the whole story, a deceptive story, a systemic, right? And we try to do this in a systemic approach. The underlying thing with all this stuff is that everyone tells the truth. 
part of the human psyche that we all want to tell the truth. But how we tell the truth? Do we tell the whole truth? Uh, anything else? Uh, no, in a deceptive way, it's all the truth, right? Now, this has been called pseudoscience. It's very controversial. It's not 100%. On anything, so I'm not making any warranties or guarantees. Just a way of doing that, of doing this. And how is this all developed? The study of forensics, which this is a branch of forensics, is a math problem, like everything else. You see things over and over and over and over and over again, and you develop patterns. You develop probabilities. You can start to lose. You use this now. Who uses this analysis here? Law enforcement, insurance companies, private investigators, attorneys, accident investigators, news media, safety professionals. Now, now, out there with those there are safety professionals that we see out there in the uh, field here, right? Where uh, those are the ones uh, that are uh, where this is relevant to. So it's relevant to all our work. So what you want to do is what's the uh, what do you need to do? Ultimately, our job as safety professionals is to prevent injuries and accidents the best we can. Well, supply leadership, right? Uh, and then in the investigation, you want to have just a factual uh, investigation. You want it to be factual. Now, I'm going to issue some controversial statements. In my opinion, 30 years of doing this. So investigators are always assuming that you are guilty until proven innocent. You say, well, Jim, this is the United States, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, in a court of law, you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you're in, often when you're dealing with uh, an investigator, you have, you're an investigator, it doesn't matter whether you're police or whatever, you have to go out there and try to get to the bottom of things. And you get, end up into this thing where you're trying to disprove or prove that people aren't involved with things. So you're going to, so because you're left there with, hey, a, a whole thing, a recent incident where we had the police called to one of my projects. Uh, there was a disgruntled contractor employee from another contractor. There, you know, uh, that 10, 15 police show up. Guess what? Guess what happens? You have a, well, they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Right, so you can't blame them. They're okay. Well, I'm going to assume everybody's involved here until they're not, until we can prove that they're not. So, start, stop talking, and start listening to what people are saying. So I, again, I'm working with a bunch of folks, a bunch of subcontractors, and they want to go and uh, they think that they're going to talk their way out of a situation. They all often talk their way into situations. You're not going to talk your way out of it. So what do you need to do? If you're the uh, if you're the person being questioned or if you're asking the questions, stop talking. That's what you got to do is stop talking. If you want to talk, you go out and you get a podcast. You get a live radio show. You can talk for all you want on here. Get a YouTube channel. But stop talking. Listen to the language. Choose your words wisely. And beware of lengthy responses. Because lengthy responses often indicate deception. 
So when you're asking a question, what happened at X, Y, and Z? What's the situation? So you answer the question. So you don't want to do this. Hey, Jim, what happened at X, Y, and Z? What happened at X, Y, and Z? Well, I'll tell you what happened at X, Y, and Z. You really want to hear about it? Boom. Red flag. A famous radio talk show host said, words mean things. What is the language? What, are, what do they say? They, so they may engage you in small talk prior to the, no, you think it's small talk. Oh, well, the investigation isn't starting now, so we're going to talk about the game last night or what have you. They're going to go out there and they're polling you what exactly you're doing. You want to be able to examine pronouns. I, me, mine, myself, she, her, hers, hers, all words like that. And you want to determine what the order of events are. You want to pay attention to the timeline that you're giving and look for words and phases, phrases that may indicate deception. And this applies to both verbal and written communication. So this is why you want to add, you want to start with open-ended questions. You want to avoid asking yes or no questions. Why? Yes or no questions lead someone down a path. And it could lead to any, anything. And you want to avoid answering simple, no, yes or no questions unless the answer is yes or no. Why? Longer answers might indicate deception. So you try to do, so for example, exactly what happened here? Exactly what are you doing? What happened with what have you? Right? And then you go through and you figure out, okay, this happened. All right. And, And you let the person go through it and talk and talk and talk. Oh, and then what? And then what? And then what? And then what? And you take good notes and everything else. And that's how you determine whether, you know, you are able to garner more information versus yes or no questions. Were you here at this thing? Yes. Were you there at here? No. Were you, right? If the answer is yes or no, then it's a simple yes or no. But be aware if you're asking questions, to ask, what questions are you asking yes or no to? Because what do you want to find out? What they're really looking for? What they are, what you are not telling them? I have this problem. I still do. Do not speak over people. Let them answer the question. Right? One, it's rude. Two, it pisses people off. Three, it may, you got to let them talk. Just let them talk. Let them talk. Be aware of warning phrases. For example, to be honest. Right? Answer questions using the shortest answer possible. We mentioned that. You want to have what is called a reliable denial. Every, every denial should have three things. I did or did not. Why I, number one. Number two, did or did not. Number two, and number three, do something. Whatever it is. That's a reliable denial. 
When you start to say, I deny doing whatever, or I deny doing blah, 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 deny does not mean no. So what's the, what is the definition of deny? Right? That remain that one of the one of the, and I had several definitions, but one of them is to state that you refuse to admit the truth or existence of. So if you deny something, it's not saying no. It means that you're not going to tell the truth. That's what deny means. So words do mean things. When you're asking the question, are they are this person are they answering the question that they're asked? Did you use those gloves? Again, I said avoid yes or no, but maybe you'll have to say yes or no. Did you use those gloves? Why would I use those gloves? I would never use those gloves. Come on. Guess what? Not answering the question. Deception on there possible. Was your backup alarm working? My backup alarm always works. Why wouldn't it be? Come on. Of course, now we have a problem here. You're repeating the question and the answer is a stalling tactic. How about this one? Were you wearing fall protection? I always wear fall protection. He always wears fall protection. We always wear fall protection. At, always means at all times and all occasions. Are you sure? Because they may be asking the other person, well, you know, every once in a while, he'll step over an open hole without fall protection on. He probably should be wearing. Oh, really? Now you're dealing with deception here. What you're worried about, was it done this time? Are they assuming it was done this time because it was done all the other times? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Something you need to worry about. Pardon me, I had to sneeze. Everyone has, so words mean things, right? So everyone has an internal dictionary. You need to pay attention to the meaning of those words. So for example, you're on a job. Does an excavator ever become a machine in this story? Change words, maybe deception. Again, none of this is foolproof. Does my machine become the machine? Now you're distancing it. I was talking about this one time in accident course, right? And my cousin came in and uh, he just happened to be passing by. He saw my truck out front. He said, hey, let me see uh, Jimmy, right? So I go out there. So I'm in there and it was on exactly this point. I said, hey, uh, what are you? I'm not going to mention this thing. He said, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm taking the wife out shopping for Christmas. I said, okay, time out. And everybody got a good laugh because I had this up on the board. When you said, I said, look, never, ever say I took the wife shopping. Never, never, never said I went shopping with my wife. That indicates a close relationship or we went shopping versus I went shopping with the wife. That means that you're putting I and wife at the end of the sentence, right? You're taking possession of, you're not really taking possession at her, of her. And this is often how police officers are able to solve domestic violence cases, right? Because I went shopping with the wife means that you didn't want to go shopping because 
there's a problem in the marriage and everything else. So, for example, there is a famous radio talk show host and celebrity in the New York City area. He has, uh, he's internationally known, Curtis Lewa. One, uh, when he was uh, being a, he, in the mid '90s, he was attacked, and he was having he was having an interview with the police, and they had ripped him apart, thinking that his ex-wife. Uh, had set up a hit on him and they didn't believe him or, or anything, you know, his soon to be ex-wife set up a hit on him. Then it came out years later that uh, organized crime did a hit on him. And basically he said, look, the police did not believe a word I said. What? And it was probably, I, I'm going to speculate slightly here because the guy talks too much. Verbal communication. I have a, a, an accident report that I share where people actually do that. This so missing words in the in, in the uh, missing words in the uh, uh, missing words in the witness statement are words missing. So instead of hey, I grabbed the tool, he says grab the tool. I got the ladder. I got the ladder. Right? You're, you're distancing yourself from that. Well, who got the ladder? Right? Maybe some type of deception. What's the order of the story? Right? Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And does the sequence of events make sense? Does uh, the right skipping steps? Are they describing things out of order in the report? So... Uh, I had a uh, uh, situation recently where we had a no a witness statement, and the guy said, "Well, I'm not a very good writer. Can you uh, write this statement for me?" No, no. Why don't you just write it yourself? I got into a problem one time because I wrote an ax uh, witness statement for someone. They signed it. Didn't mean it meant absolutely nothing. So I handed the gentleman the piece of paper and I said, "Okay." Here it is. Uh, why don't you write down what happened? Your witness statement. I, you know, I'm not going to even, uh, oh, okay, great. Uh, and he goes, I'm not even going to just go and write down what happened. He wrote down everything that happened. What are we looking for in that, right? What are we looking for in that uh, uh, written statement? Does the writer cross out any words? Look for unnecessary words. Internal dictionary. What's the breakdown of the story? Does the story make sense? Does it have red flag phrases in here? Many different red flags. Honest to God. To be honest. To tell the truth. Truthfully, I swear to God, I swear on my mother's grave. Anything like that. Any qualifier like that. And the other one is number three. Right? What is the number three? All right, it's often used in deceptive statements, the number three, because in the West, we have a bias. And then this, all of this applies to the West, right? Context, English. Every accident investigation I've been involved in, the number three is often used in deceptive statements. How many stairs did you fall down? Three. And you go out there, there's four stairs or two stairs, or one stair. Uh, what, no. Uh, anytime number three, it, it could be the number three is truthful, right? 
but it's something that needs to be followed up on every time. What do I mean cultural bias? Think about how many threes there are. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three. Three, three uh, forms of government. Executive, legislative, judicial. Three levels of government, federal, state, local. Three blind mice, three musketeers. Three peas in a pod. Many times, uh, no, triangle, number three, basic building uh, block. Three. So if someone's going to be lying to you, chances are it's going to be with, the, and they give you a number, it's going to be number three. Something else you want to do, cross-outs. So inv investigators will often ask the interviewee to write down things on an accident form then give them a pen and tell them put one line through any cross-outs. What do you think we're looking for in that? We're looking for the cross-outs. What do you think every one of my projects has? Their own paper and pencils. And I tell them, you want to write out something? You want to write an answer? Write it out, write it out on that legal pad first in pencil. Then when you're all done, you take the pencil and the legal pad with you. I transcribe it over. Always in pencil. People don't like that when I do that, but too bad. I, you know, I know, no, I would like to think I know something on how people are. Written statements. Now, uh, again, the verbal and written statements have basically the same thing, but if you're going to be writing a written statement, make sure that the statement has a beginning, middle, and end, and look at the number there. The beginning of the story, so we're told, 25% roughly, end of the story, 25%, middle of the story, 50%. If you are varying from anything with that, right, that is an indicator of some type of deception with this. That's typically, no, possibly, may indicate. Nonverbal communication. There are books and books and books and books with nonverbal communication. There's whole, even when you're as old as I am, back in the uh, 90s when we went to college in 80s, there were, there were whole classes on nonverbal communication. What, what kind of posture do you have? What kind of facial expression? How, look at the eyes. Hand or leg movements. Are they, you know, are they moving? Are they all over the place? Hand moving. Right? Do they have weird mannerisms? This is all part of holding your uh, person that you're questioning prior to speaking, uh, no, doing the quote-unquote official investigation. What are their mannerisms? Right? How many times a minute do they blink? They blink 10 to 20 times a minute, or are they constantly blinking? That might be an indicator of deception. However... That may be just them. Pupil size, small with stress. Large with pleasure. Legs back and under the chair. Doesn't want the interview. Legs crossed, arms crossed. They're holding something back. Are they defensive? What do we do with all of this stuff, right? You got to pay attention to what's going on. Open-ended questions. 
Look at the body language. What are they actually saying? The most important thing, I think, would be with a witness statement, never, ever, ever fill out a witness statement for someone. Let them fill it out. Right? Do they talk too much? Now, let's turn this around to you. You're the person being questioned. You need to find out how to make statements without being deceptive. Tell the truth 100% of the time. But often, if you're doing certain things, you're nervous, you're this, you're talking, blah, 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 No, very few people are going to believe you. And even if you're telling the truth, it happened to me a couple of times back in the day, hey, uh, no, that, I, and I said, well, you know, everything that you said in your final report and everything is, is completely ac- inaccurate. Well, this is what we, we didn't believe you. Well, you made a mistake not believing because I was probably the only one telling the truth here on the situation. You chose to believe people that lied to you and you came up, no, bad uh, inputs, right? Garbage in, garbage out sort of thing. So this is very important that you learn what to say and what not to say to people, all right, with uh, things. So we're going to take a break. And we're going to come back with a regular news and views on the news. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Okay, we're going to start off right off the bat with the markets today. Dow Jones Industrial, up slightly. Uh... 33,629, S&P 500 up, 4,019, NASDAQ. Pardon me, allergies are kicking in early here. NASDAQ, 11,364, Russell 2000, 1890, U.S. 10-year Treasury note up, 315, 3.513. Bitcoin approaching 23,000 at 22,941. Crude oil is up at 81.75. For the precious metals, gold is up today, 1942. Silver, 
2366 down slightly platinum up at 1060 uh, 1069 palladium at 1745 osha news a lot going on over at osha here uh we covered a lot of it last week uh, i never got around to uploading friday night's uh program we had a uh family emergency here on uh saturday but i'm going to be editing that down and uh, uploading it hopefully this week as a regular podcast. Following yet, and this is uh, federal safety inspectors again find Dollar General workers exposed to fire and other hazards, this time in West Lafayette, Ohio. So uh, I'll just read the news release here, right? Following yet another uh, inspection, federal investigators found one of the nation's largest discount retailers continues to shelve Serious safety concerns. Boy, that's a bad pun, right? And exposed workers and others to the dangers of locked emergency exits and electrical panels and boxes of merchandise stacked at unsafe heights. Since 2017, the U- uh, OSHA has fined Dollar General Corporation and Dolgan Cork LLC with $15 million for numerous willful repeat and serious workplace safety violations nationwide. OSHA has at least 100 federal safety inspections currently open at stores owned and operated by the Goodlettsville, Tennessee company. OSHA began a complaint inspection on August 31st, 2022, and inspectors in, uh, identified five repeated safety violations with proposed penalties of, oh, you're going to get this. $395,717. Inspectors found the company exposing workers to the threats of being unable to exit the store safely in an emergency, such as a fire, and being struck by boxes of falling merchandise. Since 2017, OSHA has identified similar violations to more than 180 inspections at Dollar General stores across the country. The retailer's chronic failures to meet safety requirements prompted the agency to include Dollar General Corporate and Dolgan Corp. LLC and OSHA severe violator enforcement for I'm going to go to music for a second here, and I will be back. <laughs>
Sorry about that. I am back. Allergies are hitting early this year for me, especially with all of this nice, beautiful, warm weather in the Northeast. Well, we did get a little bit of snow. Okay, Dollar General continues. And this is a quote from uh, OSHA Area Director Larry Johnson in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, the Dollar General continues to intentionally ignore federal safety standards while the company's defiance shows they value profits more than safety and well-being of employees, said OSHA Area Director Larry Johnson in Columbus, Ohio. Dollar General's unwillingness to make changes across its organization and as importantly at stores or hazards for this should be a serious concern for workers and shoppers alike. The West Lafayette inspection led OSHA to cite the company for the following violations. Storing box material stocked more than seven foot high on rolling containers throughout the retail area. Blocking exit routes at and the south building exit with wheeled carts, boxes, and bins, allowing open bags of food boxes and bins to spread through to be spread throughout the store, obstructing access to fire extinguishers with the ladder, boxes, and carts, blocking access to electrical panels with boxes, bins, and carts. Anyway, again, innocent until proven guilty, and this stuff gets negotiated downward. But it's uh now, uh, I have the uh, citation uh, letter right here. Let's see where we go here. Citation one, item one. Repeated serious and vi uh, violation was 1910.22. That is uh, housekeeping. Employer did not ensure that all places of employment, passageways, storerooms, service rooms, and walking working services are kept clean and orderly in sanitary condition. <laughs> And it's a repeat violation because they were able to document it one, two, three, four times at least five, six, seven, eight times prior. Here's another repeat violation. 1910.37A3 exit routes were not kept free uh, and uh, 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 free and unobstructed. Numerous type of things. Uh Numerous times they were cited on that. A repeat serious violation with portable fire extinguishers not mounted, located, or identified so that they were readily accessible without subjecting employees to injuries. Several times that happened. Material store interiors was not stacked, blocked, interlocked, or limited in height so that it was stable and secure against a sliding and collapse. That was a repeat violation. Uh, 1910-303, keeping stuff out from in front of an electrical panel. That was a big one, $113,000, for the, uh, almost $114,000. So basically, uh, we're looking at a total of $395,717. Uh, we'll see where this goes. So how is it? How do they whack you on a... Repeat violation. One is when they cite you one time, you don't fix it again, right? You don't fix it and they cite you again. And it's substantially the same type of violation. I mean, it's easily preventable just that they tell you something's wrong, just don't do it. I don't know. 
And what it is is, as long as you have the same EIN number and it's and it's basically the same management group and the same uh, company, right? Things could happen in one part of the country, and then it could still apply to the other part of con- uh, country. And this is all part of the uh, this is all part of intercompany communication. One part of the company not telling the other part of the company what to do, probably because there was a disincentive. I'm, I'm speculating here. Uh, often this is caused by a incentive program, or maybe everyone's in competition and they don't want to share any uh, information from one part of the country to the other or one store to another. I see that happen all the time. Here we go with some EPA news. The U.S. EPA has taken lead, they can lead in the response to extinguish the ongoing fire and environmental at, at the Environment Landfill Incorporated in Moody, Alabama, after receiving results from air monitoring and air sampling. As of today, and this was from January 20th, the U.S. EPA Region 4 has collected reviewed air sampling data collected early in January 2023 at the site. Air samples were collected. Uh, by uh, START, right, Superfund Technical Assessment and Response Team, from two locations on-site near burning material and two off-site locations at residential properties. So what are we looking at to do? They collected three eight-hour samples at each of these locations. Additional 15-minute air samples were collected at fifth location on-site. And... Uh, some chemicals were identified in air samples collected on or near the site uh, that exceeded removal management levels, which are chemical-specific concentration that help define areas, contaminants, or conditions where a cleanup or mitigation measures known as removal action may be appropriate. EPA has mobilized additional resources going on and on and on. So what are they re- recommending? If nearby residents are concerned and wish to reduce potential exposure to landfill fire smoke, following actions are recommended. If you have a respiratory issue, stay indoors. Reduce your outdoor activities and do them more slowly when you see or smell smoke. Close the doors and windows of your house to keep smoke inside. Talk to your healthcare provider if you have any other issues and symptoms. And that's all I'm going to go through with that on there. Some studies. Common antidepressants can cause emotional dullness, taking the pleasure out of everyday experiences. Common antidepressants can cause users to experience emotional dullness. This is a study out of Cambridge, uh, United Kingdom, uh, and uh, the CDC, right? Centers for Disease Control. Uh, widely used class, uh, the widely used class of antidepressants which doctors commonly describe for persistent or severe cases belong to the drug group selective serotonin of reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. These drugs target serotonin, a chemical that carries messages between nerve cells in the brain, which call, scientists call, a, call the pleasure center. According to the CDC, more than 13% of U.S. adults took antidepressants. However, one widely reported side effects of SSRIs is blunting where patients feel emotionally dull and stop finding things as pleasurable as they used to do, as they used to. For the study, a team of University of Cambridge, and this is the University of Cambridge, I'm sorry, not CDC, recruited 66 healthy volunteers. Out of that group, 32 received something, and 34 took another placebo. 
They took the drug or fake pill for 21 days. During this time, participants completed comprehensive set of questionnaires and tests. Antidepressants uh, may also prevent patients from learning from past events. Hmm. What do you know? Uh, so something to keep an eye on. I, I mean, I've heard a lot of complaints and I've heard a lot of good things about SSRIs. Some people swear by them. Some people curse them at them. Uh, just the way it is. Inflation desperation. 57% would lie on an interview. This is a study on coming out of London. Six in 10 people say rising costs and inflation would motivate them to lie on a resume in 2023. The survey commissioned by Standout CV also reveals that 55% of American workers already lied on their resume at least once in their life. For context, that means 42.5 million people lied to get a job in 2022. Although more men admit to lying their way to a new job, over half of women said they did the same. So 60% of men, 51% of women almost. So staggering. Uh, so who, who is, uh, as for which workers are getting creative with their resumes, it's staggering 72% looking for work in the manufacturing industry, lied to employers, healthcare workers at 64%, and those seeking a job in the creative arts at 63%. So... I don't know. It's uh, the other thing is, is that you actually have people actually paying a, a fake re job reference service. How do you like that? Forty-one percent, two and five people have been less than truthful about their days in school. Sort of like that guy, uh, Representative Santos, in uh, Long Island, allegedly. Right, and I said allegedly. 41% have lied about their college degree during a job interview. Nearly one in four have told employers that they had a degree and really didn't. So this is what I want to point out to you. It actually happened to me. No, I show people my, my uh, qualifications and experience package. And uh, right because sometimes I'm like, so for example, I work on projects that are highly confidential they want to vet all every there everybody applying for the project, so they ask you for your Q and E thing, qualification and experience. Some people call it curriculum vitae, VCV, whatever you call it, doesn't matter. So, what happens is you submit it. Uh, what, well, let me back up. I had a uh, boss that basically was a company requirement that you had to carry your professional resume. And all your certifications with you at all times. In case you got called out in the middle of the night, on short notice, you had all your paperwork together along with your physical results uh, for uh, because you're doing Hazwaffer work. And we ended it up actually, uh, and we ended up actually uh, carrying those around. I actually kept up with it over the last uh, 29 years. I started writing them about 29 years ago. And, yeah, I had to update the file and everything. But what happens is I actually, when they see this, often they don't agree. Now I'm in the other end. He's giving us all this information. This isn't, uh, this is deceptive. And then on the other end, you give him too little information. Well, this is deceptive. He doesn't have enough uh, thing. I actually got lost uh, during a job interview because I, they asked for this. I produced it, and I lost a job I was interviewing for because it was like, well, you know, 
we don't understand why uh, all of this stuff. You only had short-term jobs. Yeah, but I work for one company, and they put me on multiple different projects. It's not one project. It's not, well, we don't, uh, and it was like, well, it turned out was that I was the same age as the interviewer, and if they hired me, I'd probably have his job before long. That's what it turned out to be. Uh, that often happens, especially as you get older. There, a lot of these companies, unless they're looking for, uh, unless they're, uh, no, unless they're not really intimidated or uh, they're looking for a replacement. And some companies do look for people like me for replacements for their retiring safety professionals. Well, guess what happens? You give them a lot of information, all of a sudden, well, it's deception and this and that. They get intimidated and think you're after their job. Happens all the time. So you got to know. You have to really.